there, and welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a newlywed couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. We do like to shoot the shit about movies. And uh, today is Star Wars Day again. Woo! Woo! April Fools, we're not doing a review. Thanks for killing. No, okay. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Da. Uh, no, uh, we do have an April Fools joke for you, but it's not that. It's the fact that you have to listen to us talk about the Phantom Menace for the next hour. Ha 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 So Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Released in 1999. Yeah. The year of the burgeoning millennium. Yeah. So many new possibilities. We all still had hope that Star Wars could be good. Oh, did we? <laughs> we did. At eight years old. I did. I wasn't a Star Wars kid, so I don't... Well... I was I, I was living my life peacefully with ignorant bliss. <laughs> Oh, yes. I remember standing in line with my father going to see this opening night. We walked a mile barefoot in the snow to get to the movie theater. We did? <laughs> <laughs> it's just boring. It's Yeah, I was bored a lot of it. Like, that's, that's the issue with this movie is... You can't even make fun of it. Really. I mean, you can, but... <laughs> we, we, we did. Um, because it's the only way we got for... It's just... It every, I've watched this movie now... A number of times. And it's just a slog to get through. The ending is pretty good. And the ending's fun. But to get there, you feel like you're dragging around an anchor. Despite it being all of that. Yeah. This film was the highest grossing film of 1999. It's the not... hype was big. The hype was huge. The hype was immense. And it was... Of disappointment. <laughs> well, no. Well, you look back at the time frame, though. The hype was huge, yes. But you also have to understand, Return of the Jedi came out in 1983. So this is now 16 years afterwards. Right. It's one of those things that when you're dying for a movie that for so long, like you're like, the hype can push it. And in, once the Battle of Naboo starts, yeah, to the end, really, it's like really, the best yeah. part of the movie. So after viewing a rough cut of this film, George Lucas admitted that he, quote, may have gone too far in a few places and that the story felt disjointed, which I think is a nice way of putting it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff as you're watching it, you're like, this really doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. This is why there's also a big issue with the prequels, because you need two other TV series to, like, connect Things. The movie got a lot of mixed reviews, obviously. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 53% critics score and a 59% audience score. Um, however, uh, Roger Ebert, he gave it a 3.5 out of 4 stars and called it an astonishing achievement in imaginative filmmaking. <sighs> so, he clearly was in a very good mood that day. <laughs> Again, but this is also the same thing. You bought into the hype, you got Star Wars, and you were just excited that you had Star Wars again. Right. So this was written and directed by Mr. George Lucas. Uh, he wrote and directed all of the prequel trilogy uh, on his own. 
This was his first time directing in 22 years since the original Star Wars film. He had approached other directors to do it, uh, like Ron Howard, Robert, uh, Robert Zemeckis, Steven Spielberg, um, but they all told him that he should do it because it was too much for them. They were like, fuck that. I'm not taking that on. You, that's your bag, bro. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I understand that. Because you know what? George created this universe, and yes, you know, any director, at the, especially at the time, would have had to bow to George. Would I have loved, especially in the 90s, to have seen a, a Spielberg-directed mm. Star Wars? Yeah. Would have been interesting. Um, once again, the score is done by John Williams. Yes. And it's still great. Yeah, the score is the score's good. So let's talk about uh, accolades for this movie. Yes. Both good and bad. Sure. So the prequel trilogy, quite famously, is the only chunk of the Star Wars movies that got Razzie love or disdain, however you want to refer to it. Um, but let's let's start out with the Oscars. Let's start off with the good news and then get to the bad news. So in the 2000 Oscars, The Phantom Menace was nominated for three awards. Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, and Visual Effects, losing all of those awards to The Matrix. What is The Matrix? It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. You are a slave born into a prison for your mind. Because the Matrix. The Matrix. Um, I do want to say regarding the visual effects in this movie, which are abundant, to put it lightly, this movie uh, has a runtime of two hours and thirteen minutes, and apparently there are only ten to fifteen minutes without any visual effects at all. And that that might be putting it lightly. That's the number I got from the intranet. Yeah. I guess this is like around the time when like. CGI was becoming more prevalent, so yeah. they were like, let's just throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, this won't age poorly. Yeah. Um, That's why, I mean, like, you know, say what you want about Star Wars, like, it's uh, all practical, and obviously it looks like it's from, it was made in, like, the 70s, early 80s, but, it, you know, it yeah. at least has a timeless air about it. This, you can tell this was made in the 2000s, and it, like, is obnoxious in its 2000-ness. Yeah. yeah, thinking about it, though, like, look at the movie that came out very recently, last year, and also had a lot of CGI in Detective Pikachu. True. They're not there, but you kind of, you don't feel it as much. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't feel that they were not there. Yeah, and it's similar because they're also, like, creatures that aren't actual, like, really, like, animals right like they're just made of creatures but in this it doesn't work because not only is it like dreary and gross looking but it just the technology is not what it is now so it just looks like shit yeah it, it, it's rough to look at it really is you probably would have been better just making the character somewhat humanoid and just like putting prosthetics on somebody yeah all right so now we can get to the Razzie Awards. Okay. The 2000 Razzies. Now, Phantom Menace was nominated for how many awards, you think? How many Razzies? Yes. Nominate? Uh, I'm going to say five. More. Seven. seven. <laughs> it was nominated for seven awards. 
and won only one of them. Worst actor? Worst supporting actor. Jake Lloyd? No. He was nominated, but he lost to his co-actor, Ahmed Best. <laughs> That's oh. right. Jar Jar Binks is the worst supporting actor of 2000. Misa, I need to be taking on this a heavy burden. I feel bad for the guy because the guy got so much shit. I, he really did. And let's actually, now that you mention that, let's discuss that for a second. Jar Jar Binks, who is the infamous shitty CGI character in this film, was played by Ahmed Best. The hate was so bad for this character after the movie came out that he actually considered suicide at one point. And similarly, Jake Lloyd, who played Anakin, young Anakin, got a lot of hate as well and a lot of bullying in school and stuff. Like, okay, I get fandom. Don't get me wrong. I'm fandom for many things. Cool beans. But, like, I would never, like, shit on an actor like, to their face and make them feel like crap for a role to the point where they want to, like, kill themselves. That's no, just no, there's no... You know what? The guy had a job. Right. He was directed to... If you want to direct your vitriol and hate to the director, because most of the times it is the director making, like, helping them form right. that character. but even that, like, nothing is worth no. being that angry about. No. Like, it's really you not... can You can talk bad about a movie. You can talk bad about a character. Don't get me wrong, but going after the actor... For a bad decision or not playing the role like you thought the role could be played, that's not it's not right. They're people too. George Lucas made the decision for a lot of what Ahmed Best did. For right, I mean it's not his fault. Just like it's not Jake Lloyd's fault either. No, it's just the movie. <laughs> the movie is written very poorly. Yeah, like they the have characters. Shit to work with. The characters a disaster. Yeah, like literally everybody is. Apparently, someone else, some other celebrity, had um, campaigned for the role. I don't know if this is actually true, but apparently Michael Jackson had campaigned for the role of Jar Jar Banks. I don't know if that's true. It sounds too obvious to be actually true, but who knows? So, uh, so yes, All My Best has that uh, distinct, distinct honor of uh, Worst Supporting Actor. The other nominations we had here... We had supporting actor, like we said, for Jake Lloyd. Uh, we had supporting actress for Sofia Coppola, who played one of the handmaidens. I don't know why. I guess because she was Sofia Coppola and they wanted to like fuck with her, so they gave her a supporting actress. Uh, but she lost to Denise Richards for The World Is Not Enough. And you are? Mikhail Arkos, Russian Atomic Energy Department. Miss? Dr. Jones. Christmas Jones. Yeah, it's not a great movie. So that makes sense. Um, and then it was also nominated for Worst Picture, Worst Couple for Anakin and Padme, which makes sense because they're like 9 and 14, 14 apparently in the movie. Weird. Okay. Uh, worst Director and Worst Screenplay. And they lost all of those awards to Wicka Wicka Wild Wild West. Scott's favorite movie. Not my favorite His movie. His favorite movie. No, it is not my favorite movie. His favorite. It is a guilty pleasure. Okay. Whenever uh, you are ready, yes. you can start taking us on this magical journey. Yes. Uh, let us, me take you down 
the Phantom Menace. Let me start with the crawl. I tried to do my my you know special reading of the crawl, my traditional reading of the crawl, but literally I got like two sentences in and I got bored, so I stopped. <laughs> Basically, I do it. there's a trade dispute, and Senator Palpatine has sent two Jedis to talk to the Trade Federation. Fun. That's all you really need to know. Um, but this, in the timeline of Star Wars, this is all set 32 years before. Yes. New Hope. Yes. So, we get our two main leads. Woo! Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi land on this Trade Federation ship. Played by Liam Neeson and Hugh McGregor, respectively. Apparently, though, I didn't realize this, but apparently, like, you don't even know Qui-Gon's name until, like, 40 minutes into the movie. No, you never say it. Which is weird, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and then, uh, Hugh McGregor, obviously, big fan of Hugh yes. McGregor, myself. This was, like, like, two years before he did Moulin Rouge. And he's got a little baby face and a little rat tail, and he's looking great. Um, but he really doesn't do really anything in this movie. It felt like they and just put him in here so they could have Obi-Wan in the movie. Yes. So like, it just didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand why they even had Qui-Gon at all. Not, nothing against Liam Neeson. But I didn't understand why they had that character at all. Why they didn't just make it Obi-Wan who, like, found Anakin, trained him. I guess because it's 32 years before New Hope. So New Hope, he's... Probably in his, what, 60s, 70s? I mean, they're pretty loosey-goosey with the age here. Yeah, let's say 60s, so he's probably... Because Anakin's supposed to be 13. Yeah. And he's 9. Yeah. So, mm, but yeah. Uh, apparently, Hugh McGregor did a lot of studying of Alec Guinness's acting style, yeah. so he can kind of get his cadences down and stuff, and he definitely does. I mean, it, it's more prevalent, I think, in the later movies. Well, like. yeah. So... <laughs> We quickly get uh, the two Jedi sitting down in this room, and we get the first, uh, this Viceroy of the Trade Federation. Who is, like, this weird guy in prosthetics, and the weirdest accent you ever did hear in your life. Yes, of course. As you know, our blockade is perfectly legal, and we'd be happy to receive the ambassadors. It's been called, like, a bad, like, Asian accent done by a white guy. It's not good. So, they find out that the Jedi are on the ship, and they're, like, they told, and you find out the Sith are responsible for everything, because, of course, the Sith are responsible for everything. So, they send robots to go kill Jedi. Oh, yes, yeah, send the droids. <laughs> send the droids. So, yes, so the droids get sent, they get dispatched of very easily, and they look incompetent, Throughout the entire movie, for the most part, Qui Gon looks at Obi Wan and goes, "Oh yeah, the trade negotiations should be very short." Oh yeah, and then once they like the droids start attacking, Hugh <laughs> McGregor just turns to Qui Gon and he's like, "You were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short." Oh, look at Hugh McGregor being charming as fuck, little sassy <laughs> sassafras. It was very even in this piece of shit. I mean, I think everyone can pretty much agree that the only like genuinely decent thing about the prequels, like, across the board, is 
Ewan McGregor's performance as Obi-Wan. Well, across the board, yes. I, like... I mean, there are certain little things like, here and there that are good, but, like, overall and across the board, yeah. that's consistently oh, well, yeah, that's throughout the, all three movies. Yes. I like, I like Qui-Gon. I like Qui-Gon. I, I like Qui-Gon. I just don't give a shit about him because I don't... Just, I'm not invested in him at all, really. I mean, I feel like all the writing and, I guess, in turn, all the performances are very, like, cold and, like, detached. Yeah, almost. they are... So then, so they find their way onto ships and down to Naboo, and they are now on Naboo, running through the forest, running away from the droids. <laughs> and who does Qui Gon Jinn stumble upon, Frankie? Misa, Misa, coming to the story now. Jar Jar Binks gets tackled by Qui Gon Jinn. He is basically a combination visually of like a toad. And a creepy puppet man. The mixture of a frog and a human, basically. He looks ugly as sin. He does. He's just there and starts saying nonsense that is barely understandable and is supposed to be comic relief. Oh, Mui Mui, I love you! You almost got us killed. Are you brainless? I speak! The ability to speak does not make you intelligent. Now get out of here. No, no, Mr. Stay! Misa called Jar Jar Binks. Misa, your humble servant. But I, I did like the one line that uh, Obi-Wan had. <laughs> Literally, when he comes into frame, he just walks in, sees Jar Jar, and he says to Qui-Gon, what is this? <laughs> and I'm like, same, same, Obi-Wan. Just the way he talks, I'm like, why did we make this decision that he talks like this? You know what it is? It's for the kids. Because I'm sure for kids, it was funny. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it's great for kids when you have when you have a rattle in front of their faces. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, but it's not actually funny. It's just like, oh, we'll make funny noises and we fall over. We're so clumsy, Mister Clumsy. Like, it's like, okay, I, he's in so much of this. He's in the entire movie. It's like you can't escape it. Sometimes, like, it'll happen where it's like. You hit, like, a lull, maybe, in the story, and, like, everyone's tone is very subdued, and they're talking about very serious things, and then all of a sudden it's like, Mee-ah! and it's just like, holy shit. <laughs> it just comes out of fucking clear blue sky, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? So yeah, Jar Jar is introduced. He's a delight. And uh, he brings up that, oh, if we want to get away, we can go to the Gungan City. Oh, wait, I shouldn't tell you about the Gungan City. I was banned from the Gungan City. But you're a Gungan. <laughs> but the, the, Where else are you going to go if not the Gungan City? But they're like, okay, just take us there anyway. And Jar Jar's like, okay, fine. So he takes Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon to the water where they dive underwater. So they get into the Gungan City and immediately they are taken to the leader with uh, a line that is brilliant, George. This line was gorgeous, George. I, Best line of the entire movie. You saw a big doo-doo this time. Oh, God, that was so bad. Yeah, you saw a big doo-doo this time. I was like, okay, that's a line. <laughs> that, that is a line. That's a line that someone wrote down on paper. And had someone say. Yeah. Ugh. So they get taken and we meet Boss Nass, the head of the Gungans, which sounds completely different from any of the other Gungans. Boss Nass talks like, Oh yeah, he does like the weird like shaking of the jowls and it's like, okay. Yeah, he's like a toad. He's 
literally a toad. A rabbit. A rabbit. So Boss Nass basically tells our Jedi that for them to get to Naboo, they have to go through the center of the planet. And then Qui-Gon is like, okay, well, we need a navigator. I'm like, no, you don't. You have the Force. <laughs> Even later on, when they're in the ship going through the whatever, Qui-Gon says, Where is it going? Don't worry. The Force will guide us. Oh, Maxi bit the Force. Oh, don't, don't worry, Jar Jar. We will let the Force guide us. And I'm like, well, then why did you need a navigator? What? Get him out of here. He's so annoying. And there's a point where he just passes out after they get saved by the same fish twice. Yeah, <laughs> he just, like, says random words that don't make... He's like, he can't. Oh, oh. where's Misa going? What is Misa saying? Oh, God. It's just like, I can't deal with it. So, <clears throat> basically, the Boss Nass lets them go. They take the nice, fun ship in this really drawn-out segment that means nothing. Yeah, basically, like, it's just, like, wanting them to show off CGI, I think. They just had, like, them going in the ship, and they get eaten by a big fish, and then the bigger fish eats them, and it's all oh, yeah, fuckery. Qu- Who cares? And Qui-Gon goes, There's always a bigger fish. <laughs> it's like the Seinfeld music. <laughs> Oh, God. They finally get to the, the capital city, where basically the queen has given over the city to the Trade Federation. Who cares about the politics? Literally, anytime you're confused about anything in this movie, just say, like, oh, trade. It's just it's about trade. <laughs> trade. It's trade federation. Taxes, trade. Yes, oh, yeah. Tax- politics, politics, politics. Yes, I forgot. The taxation of trade routes. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? So, Padme, uh, well, I should say, Queen Amidala, also known as Padme, is played by Natalie Portman, who was 16 when filming started, uh, but apparently Padme was supposed to be 14. Yeah, that's fine. She's around that age. It can get confusing. Hopefully I'll explain it well enough that it makes sense. So, she, you see Natalie Portman either in this movie dressed up like Queen Amidala in full princess queenly yes full queenly garb uh or you see her as like padme the handmaiden because apparently the real handmaidens would sometimes dress up like the queen to be like a decoy uh the other handmaidens being played by Kira knightley mainly and also there was one played by sophia coppola as i mentioned before but for, for the most part in this movie she is normally dressed for the most part. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of times where she's in full queen garb and she kind of like makes her voice lower. And... Yeah, and there's also times where that's Kira. Yeah, there are times where it's Kira Knightley. And they apparently on set, they really did look very much alike. And they kind of do, like if you look at them now, they, they look a lot yeah. alike. I was trying to like discern while I was watching this, because I've seen this before, but watching it again, I just was like curious as to like if people caught on to the fact that like Padme was Queen Amidala at some point because there are points in the movie where she's dressed up like yes. Queen, but she looks so much like Kira Knightley that I don't know if like you could really tell. I, I don't think you can unless partially because beforehand. Yeah, unless we know beforehand, but I also think because the Queen is in so much makeup. So now uh, the Trade Federation has taken over the the Republic City in the Boo, and they want to. Force Queen Amidala to sign a treaty 
allowing them to occupy the city. I don't understand how that makes sense, but moving on. So the Jedi come in, basically kick a bunch of butt, take Queen Amidala and Captain Panaka. They escape Naboo. So they're on the ship, and they decide they're going to go land on Tatooine? Yes, because they, uh, their ship got damaged escaping. Uh, they only escaped by the skin of their teeth, thanks to R2-D2. Oh yeah, R2-D2 saves the day, as usual. They need to land on Tatooine, basically, because they can't get to Coruscant. So, yeah, they need to like fix something in the ship. Yes, they need to fix the hyperdrive. Yeah. Because hyperdrives never work. Sure. Yeah, so Qui-Gon goes off the ship uh, to explore. With Jar Jar, and initially R2-D2, and Panaka's like, the queen wants her handmaiden to learn about the land, and you must take Padme with you. Ah, yes. So they, they all go together, and they leave Obi-Wan in the ship, which made me sad. This Obi-Wan, it's left he in the ship. He didn't do anything. No, not on Tatooine. But we also get the Trade Federation going. They escaped. And Palpatine goes, oh, I will send Darth Maul after them. So we get our first appearance of Darth Maul. He's played by Ray Park. He is. Who is, like, a martial arts champion. Oh, yes, he is. Uh, he also played Toad in X-Men. He did. Do you know what happens to a Toad when it's struck by lightning? Same thing that happens to everything else. He was voiced because he does speak actually in this movie. A lot, of, a lot of people think that he doesn't actually talk because for most of the time he doesn't talk. But he does have a, a couple lines, of, yeah, a little bit of voice acting, uh, and that's voiced by English actor Peter Serafinowitz. Ah, so uh, now they're walking along the sand planet. Their their crew. On Tatooine, and we meet Watto and Jake Lloyd. Watto is like junk dealer, slave, uh, slave owner, owner slightly Lloyd. Jewish stereotype. Yeah, that's true. He likes the money and the weird accent. Yeah, and the big nose. Mm -hmm. And Jake Lloyd uh, plays Anakin Skywalker, aka Darth Vader, soon to be. Jake Lloyd, who is nine years old, initially. Anakin Skywalker was written to be 13, which 14, 13, even if you make Padme 16, 16, 13 kind of flies a little better. Yeah, it's not the worst. But 14 and 9? Yeah, no, um, we don't like that. Thanks. So, <laughs> it's weird. And, like, it's weird because, like, throughout the movie... Anakin and Padme are putting these situations together where they're supposed to, like, bond, and you feel nothing. <laughs> I mean, that's a running theme for pretty much all the relationships in this movie. You feel absolutely nothing for most of them. Um, but this one in particular is pretty rough because there is absolutely no chemistry between them because Anakin is nine years old. <laughs> and in case you don't recognize the name Jake Lloyd, uh, he's the kid from Jingle All the Way probably most notably other than this. Uh, but he did retire from acting in 2001. This movie came out in 1999. Do the math. <laughs> yeah. So we get uh, Jake Lloyd and Padme's first interaction together. Where Jake Lloyd goes, Are you an angel? What? An angel. Are you an angel? 
the writing in this is like abysmal. It's, it's just, just abysmal. Just a nine-year-old. Calling. Especially for him, yeah, because that's why I don't blame Jake Lloyd at all for this, because he's just a sweet kid in this, and he, he sat like all his deliveries for every line sound like he's in like a fucking kids TV show. Like, mom, did you hear that? Oh, what, are we gonna go pod racing? Like, it's just so obnoxious and over the top, like kitty. But he's a kid. Yeah. So, like, an easy way to combat that is to not cast a little kid who no. can't relate in any way, shape, or form to what the hell is going on because he's a child. Well, you think about it, like, like <laughs> a nine-year-old is not gonna flirt. Well, yeah, obviously. Because that's... Just in general, no. That's, like, a flirty line. Yeah. It's, like, weird. I don't know. It's so bizarre. And then, in particular, the writing for Anakin is really awful because it's just, like... None of these things are things that children would say. No, they aren't. After that, we get uh, Watto and Qui-Gon have a little side thing where we get the other famous line from this, where Qui-Gon tries to mind-trick Watto, and Watto goes, Mind tricks don't work on me, only money. Oh, nice, nice. So, oh wait, do you get the yippee? Oh, I forgot that. Does he do the yippee? Yeah, he does the first yippee. There are two times in this movie, two times, where this poor child in 1999 had to say the word yippee, just like that. Seriously. Like, like Jake Lloyd, Jake Lloyd, convey actual joy by saying the word yippee. Uh, so, yeah. So, I, uh, they leave Wado and... Waddle goes, oh, clean the shelves, and then you can go home early. And Jake Lloyd goes, yippee! Yippee! Uh, stop it. Stop it. <sighs> well, you know what, Scott? I got another reason why you should say yippee. Why? Because it's time for our favorite segment, Cast Cut-A-Bins! Yippee! Is that the Doug theme song? <laughs> Do you want me to play the Doug theme song? Okay, let's play the Doug theme song. Apparently that's the... We're just going to change the theme song every week. That's going to be our new Predator Handshake joke. Predator Handshake! No! We have to let that die. It's going to get annoying. Alright, so... Oh, we do have uh, some cast could have been for our four principal actors. Okay. Uh, let's start off with Qui-Gon Jinn. Sure. Currently, well, not currently. He's always played by, <laughs> by Liam Neeson. Currently <laughs> and always. He will be at the Broadway revival, he will be played by, by Liam Neeson. <laughs> by Liam Neeson again. <laughs> um, in Star Wars, the musical. Oh, God. Imagine. I'm surprised that hasn't happened. I think. I think it exists somewhere. It would shock me. So, Qui-Gon Jinn. Yes. We have one, two, three, four, five possible names. Okay. And let's see how they shake out with you. Okay. We have a Mr. Vin Diesel. No. A Mr. Morgan Freeman. Okay, yeah, that would have worked. That would have been cool. Tom Hanks. Yeah, that also would have worked. Kurt Russell. Yeah. And Denzel Washington. Well, yeah, Denzel. Well, I Morgan Freeman's the best choice for Qui-Gon at the time. I think so, too. 
but don't yeah. get me wrong, I love Denzel. We love some Denzel. But I just at the time I think he's too young for the role. That's true, yeah. Uh we have Obi Wan. Okay. Uh other choices for Obi Wan include Kenneth Branagh. Okay. I think because he's, like, the quintessential, like, classy British man. Yeah, I guess. I guess Alec Guinness at that time was the quintessential, like, classy yeah. British man. So it seemed like an obvious yeah, I guess. connection. I don't know. Um, Hugh Jackman. Weird. Uh, Tim Roth. Okay. And Harry Connick Jr. Uh, I don't know. Of those four, I would have liked Tim Roth the best. I would have picked Kenneth Branagh. Because yeah. to me, the logic of that makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess. Uh, Padme. Okay. We have uh, Miss Kelly McDonald, and if you don't know who that is, she voiced Merida in Brave. Ah. I am Merida, firstborn descendant of Clan Dumbrock, and I'll be shooting for my own hand. Uh, and we also have a Miss, I'm going to say this wrong, forgive me, because I actually like this actress, Larissa Olenek. Who played uh, Alex Mack in the secret world of Alex Mack? Did ah, you ever see that Nickelodeon no. show? You've never seen. Wait, you're a '90s kid. Yes. You've never seen Alex Mack. No. She was like a teenage girl, and she had like these weird powers where she could like turn into like silvery goop and travel around. One minute I'm walking home, the next there's a crash, and I'm drenched in some weird chemical. And since then. <laughs> Nothing's been the same. It's cooler than it sounds. <laughs> it, it was it was cooler than it sounds. Okay, so last one. Okay. Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. A lot of kids tried out for this of varying ages, obviously. Um, but there were some names that I recognized that were like in the mix. One of them being Justin Burfield, who was Reese in Malcolm in the Middle. I think that oh. was like his older brother. Yeah, I think so. And Michael Angarano, who is the main kid from Sky High. All he wants is to live up to his family name. My parents are the greatest superheroes on the planet. But he's not sure he's got what it takes. Who I like, I like him. I like him in Sky High. Yeah. So yeah, that uh, that was cast. Could have been. Poor job. Okay. <laughs> so. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> it's fucking like one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it literally is three. I oh. don't know what you're looking at. So yeah, we meet Sabalba for the first time after Jar Jar gets into some other antics. Jar Jar like accidentally throws something at him. I don't know. Jar Jar tries to steal something. Yeah. Accidentally throws it at Sebulba. Sebulba knocks him to the floor. And then him, Anakin saves Jar Jar. But it's funny because like when Sebulba and Jar Jar are fighting, it literally looks like just a big old pile of CGI shit. Just like, like computer, like it's like zeros and ones just like jumping all over each other. It's like, it doesn't even look, it looks gross. Yeah, it doesn't look great. So now a sandstorm's about to strike, and Anakin invites these four random strangers he's known for about two minutes home to his house. Sure. They have to move the plot along, Scott. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, so Anakin brings these four home. We meet Anakin's mother. Shmee! Shmee! 
Even though they don't say her name is Shmi in this movie, I don't think at all. No, they don't. Yeah, we we don't we don't need to know people's names. That's not important. No, not at all. Anakin drags Padme off to CC three PO that he's. Building. Oh yes, because he he that's like a reveal, I guess that Anakin built C three PO. Yes. Um, who in this movie was voiced by Anthony Daniels. They didn't do the like actual costume. Because, I mean, he wasn't, like, really full C-3PO. No, he was... As, as, he had, like, wires as, sticking out As R2 put it, he's naked. Yes, <laughs> he had wires sticking out and stuff. He was uh, puppeteered by a Mr. Michael Lynch. Ah! We love a good puppeteer. Hello, I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations. How might I serve you? So, uh, we, they now sit down for dinner. Oh, yes. All of them a delicious family dinner. A family dinner where they're talking about slavery on oh. Tatooine. Fun. And uh, during this slavery conversation, Jar Jar, like a frog, sticks out his tongue to grab a piece of fruit. Because it's funny, Sky. Ah. You don't get comedy. It's it's hysterical. And then, and then Jar Jar sticks out his tongue again and Qui-Gon grabs his tongue with his hand and it's funny. It's hysterical. Anakin wants to do the pod race. Yes. Shmi says, says why don't Wait, why does he want to do the pod race to help them? Padme says the only way to get to these junk dealers is through gambling because they like to gamble. And they, they like to gamble on this big pod race coming up. And Anakin's like, I have a pod. I can race. Right. And okay. I'll, I'll race for you. Got it. And Shmi goes, oh, Waddle will never let you do that. And then they cut to like Really, five seconds later. Five seconds later, where she goes, Oh, uh, I, I hate it every time Waddle makes you race. So why wouldn't Waddle make him race? So it, it's very confusing. It doesn't make sense. Finally, Shmi goes, He's meant to help you. Let him help you. Yeah, and then you cut to Anakin, like, outside working on this his little pod thing. And Shmi is talking to Qui-Gon. Qui he recognizes that. Anakin is strong in the Force, because they mentioned during, like, this, like, dinner conversation that, like, he has, like, visions of the future, yeah. or, like, really good reflexes, yeah. quote-unquote. So, Qui-Gon thinks that he has, like, Force powers, basically. Qui-Gon asks her, who's Anakin's father? And Shmi goes, There was no father. I carried him, I gave birth, I raised him. I can't explain what happened. Jesus! Okay. Oh, um, no. So as Anakin's working on the ship, mm. we get some more Jar Jar hijinks. Oh, my God. I don't care. <laughs> where Jar Jar makes his fucking tongue numb. Oh, yeah. It's like a laser or something, and he gets stuck, and it's so stupid. The whole thing is fucking stupid. So now Anakin gets it. He turns on the, the speeder, <laughs> the pod racer. Uh-huh. And he what goes... What does he say, Scott? He says, It's working! It's working! It's working! It's working! <laughs> and then we cut to one of the most awkward points in the movie, hmm. where Qui-Gon just takes a sample of Anakin's blood. Oh, yeah. Like, they're... Okay, so... <laughs> This whole thing is weird. Okay, so Qui-Gon is sitting with Anakin. This is later on, like, at nighttime. And he's, like, he pricks, like, a little and takes a little bit of blood from Anakin so he can test metachlorians. 
What are Metachlorians, you ask? We'll fucking get there. But they have something to do with the Force. Let's just put it that way for now. So, he basically, like, uses this communicator that he's been using to talk to uh, Obi-Wan from the ship. And by the way, the communicator is literally just, like, a woman's razor. Redecorated. Like, it's a, it's a fucking yeah. razor. Like, can you... Okay. Creativity in the props department. We love it. We love to see it. Anyway, he basically, like, sends his blood sample through the communicator to Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan tests the blood sample and he's like, Ooh, the metachlorian count is off the charts. It's higher than Master Yodas. So, apparently, he has mucho, mucho force. <laughs> yes. He's very powerful with the force. Or would be if he was ever trained. I was like, um... Did you ask Shmi before you, like, took your, her child's blood? Like, that seems inappropriate, but wh- what do I know? I'm I'm nobody's mother. Um, nor a Jedi. <laughs> nor a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Qui-Gon meets with Watto again, and Qui-Gon makes a bet with him, saying that if Anakin wins the pod race, that not only does Watto have to give him the parts that they need to fix their ship, but he also has to release Anakin as a slave, and he would go off with Qui-Gon. Yeah. And, I mean, for a Jedi, who is supposed to be all, like, goodness and light, Qui-Gon does a whole lot of gambling in this Oh, yes, he does. He seems pretty comfortable with it. He does. And also, at this point, we find, Padme finds out that Anakin has never finished the race. Oh, yeah, like, she seems to be the only one concerned about that. Like, he just casually mentions, like, oh, by the way, I've never really raced before, and when I have, it hasn't really worked out. <laughs> so, yeah, we get introduced to this long-ass pod race sequence. Um, Where we get introduced to every single racer. Yeah. Uh, who are being introduced by the two-headed alien pod race commentator, voiced by Greg... Proofs and Scott Capurro. Greg Proofs, I don't know who Scott Capurro is, but Greg Proofs is uh, one of the guys that were pretty prominent on Whose Line Is It Anyway for, for a while. So if you're all ready, Greg, off you go. Yes, but what's the point, Drew? <laughs> Since no one would ever pick me. Well, what you've heard is feelings. That's nice, Drew. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, fuck you, Drew. Uh, he's pretty hilarious. And yeah. I didn't know that before watching it again today. But I listened to it, and like I listened for his voice, and you can clearly hear it. It's yeah. definitely him. Yeah, I think the other guy's from the World Series of Poker. Um, yeah, I think so too. So yeah, uh, we get to the pod. We, we get to the pod racing scene mm-hmm. where we see Job of the Hut. We get introduced to this cast of characters who don't matter. We really don't care because they all fucking suck, and they some of them die, and who cares? Yeah, and the race starts after. Boba fucks with Anakin's ship a little bit, blah, blah, blah. Anakin starts late. and This whole race, it's so long. It's annoyingly long. Like, I got bored halfway through. And, like, the sound design is really cool. Like, some of the, like, shots are really cool. But for the most part, it's just, like, boring. And it's stupid because, like, they play it up like it's this, like, really exciting race. And you want to be, like, invested in, like, the intrigue, like, you know, yeah. in, in the sport of it all. And just don't give a fuck. 
But you also know, like, Anakin's gonna win this race. So there's no excitement to, like, oh, he's having problems with his ship. Oh, God, I don't know if he's gonna make it. Yeah, I think the length and the fact that the, there's really nothing exciting, like, I mean, it, it looks, it doesn't look bad, but it, there's nothing particularly, like, engaging about it visually, where it's, like, it's just, like, drab desert and, like, you know, drab ships. Yeah. Like, nothing's really, like, exciting they, This This later inspired, there was a pod racing video game, and that, that got boring even that after a while because it was just a racing game, another racing game. But yeah, so Anakin wins the race. Ooh, yippee! Yippee! He learns that now he's free. Yeah, and he, oh, like, Qui-Gon had tried to get Shmi free too, but, like, Watto wasn't having it. So, like, when Qui-Gon tells Anakin that, like, he has to leave his mother, he's sad. <laughs> Kind of. Oh, sad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel nothing. <laughs> I feel like... I feel nothing. This child is nine years old, and he's leaving the only home he's ever known, the only parent he's ever known his whole life, and I feel nothing until, like, the very end, when he's about to leave, he, like, runs back and runs into her arms, and I feel, like, a little pang of emotion for the first time in this whole movie. But, like, Shmi, like, I feel bad for her, but she's, like, she's so, like, cold throughout... Like she's... everyone is very subdued in this movie, and you're like, it's just like the theme is being subdued. Oh God! And like sedated, basically, like generally sedated. Obi Wan's got another like sassy oh, yeah. line. He goes up to Qui Gon and he's like, "So we're really taking him with us?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Why do I feel like we're picking up another pathetic life form?" And I'm like, "Oh damn! <laughs> what the fuck? He's like a little kid. Like, calm down." Hey man, it's still good. So now they're getting on, they're about to get on the ship and Darth Maul shows up. And we get the first oh, little yes. fight between Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. Yeah, that was cool. It lasted like five seconds, but that was fun. Yeah, and Qui-Gon escapes by jumping onto the ship as it's leaving and yeah. Darth Maul just stares at the, ship, at the ship as it flies away. And then uh, we have another little like quote-unquote bonding scene between Padme and Anakin. Where it literally, like, at one point, she's, like, tucking him in. It's like, you're you're his babysitter. You're not his future wife. Like, can you please, like, stop this? And he's like, I need you something. And it's, like, a little, like, carved wooden thing. And she's like, it's beautiful. And I literally, without a beat, was just like, is it? <laughs> is it, though? It's just a piece of wood. Many things will change when I reach the capital, Annie. But my caring for you will remain. I care for you too. It's like supposed to be like their relationship is weird because you think about it like a kid's first crush like is like, oh my babysitter's my first crush. Right. And in the second movie, from what I remember, that's exactly what it seems like when he sees her again. He's like obsessed with her. So now they get they finally get the Coruscant where we meet Senator Palpatine. Played by Ian McDermott, who played the Emperor in Yes. original trilogy. He's one of the few people that, you know, come back uh, from the original trilogy. The Queen Amidala is being worked over by Palpatine. Ooh, baby. Oh, baby. Not in a good way. So he he basically tricks her to cause the Senate to have a vote of no confidence. A vote of no confidence for Chancellor Valorum. Valorum 
is forced to step down or whatever that means. I don't know. Who cares? Politics, 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 blah, blah, blah. So, uh, while that's going on, Jedi Council's having a meeting with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And, uh... we get Yoda! Then we get Yoda, we get Samuel Jackson as Mace Windu. When this movie was first released, Yoda was played by a puppet, puppeteered, of course, by Frank Oz, the king. Yes. Um, and later on, when the movie was released, they, like, basically went over it digitally. So they kept his voice, obviously, Yoda's voice, but they redid the visage in a digital form. And it looks fine. It's, it's okay. Whatever. It's <laughs> not cares? as good as the puppet. Um, yeah, I like the puppet. And they talk about how the uh, Qui-Gon believes this boy could be the chosen one and that the Sith have returned. There you go. That's all you really need from this scene. Moving on. Qui-Gon says this boy is the chosen one. And Mace Windu and the rest of the Jedi Council are like, okay, let's let's see the boy. Yes, so later the on, they, they have him come in, Jake Lloyd, and they, like, give him, like, Jedi tests, basically. And they're like, the Force is strong with him. But he is too old to be a Jedi. He's, he's nine. <laughs> he, he, he's nine years old. They fear that his fear... His balls have not even a hair upon them. But he's too old. <laughs> his fear that he will never see his mother will lead to anger, which will lead to hate, which will lead to suffering. Oh, yes. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. So, while they're basically saying that He's not able to be trained. Jake Lloyd also goes to see Princess uh, Amidala to go see Padme. Oh, yes. He wants to say goodbye to Padme because he's like, they They might be training me to be a Jedi, so I might never see her again. I just want to say goodbye. And he sees Queen Amidala, who is Padme, but he doesn't realize that. So she's like, oh, I'm sure her heart is with you or whatever the fuck she says. So cold. Again, feel nothing. <laughs> These two characters who are supposed to have this bond and who are supposed to have this eventually this great love in the coming years feel absolutely zero percent of emotion no none of the things i feel so uh it's sad that they will not train him because he's too old he's too old and he's too dangerous basically oh well, like wouldn't it be more dangerous to have a kid grow up untrained with all that force power well i think the thing is all the force power is, think of it like potential energy. If he doesn't know how to harness it, it can't ever be used. Training him teaches him how to use it. Right. So, Queen Amidala has decided she can't wait for the Senate to put Palpatine in charge. She's going to go back to Naboo and stir some shit up. Oh, yeah. She, her and Jar Jar go back to Her, Jar Jar, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Jake Lloyd all go back to Naboo. It's funny because, again, Qui-Gon and Padme are, like, having a serious conversation. Like, we must go back to Naboo and save my people. They could be dying. And all of a sudden, in this very serious and somber moment, Jar Jar goes like, We are going home! We are going home! And it's like, stop it. (laughs) Just, just stop it. So now they go to meet the Gungans. Well, yes, well, they go to meet the Gungans so they can have uh, the Gungan army at their disposal. That's that's the plan, because Jar Jar mentions at one point that the Gungans are warriors. And have a grand army. Yes. So when they go, 
Queen Amidala is in her full garb, but she is played by the decoy, I believe, here Knightley, yes. if I'm not mistaken. And she goes in, starts talking to Boss Nass, and everyone's there. The Jedi are there. Jake Lloyd is there. Jar Jar is there. The whole gang is here and ready to party. But then, all of a sudden, Padme, in her handmaid's outfit, interrupts and says, Your Honor, I must speak to you. I am Queen Amidala. And then continues to oh. say, This is my decoy. And all the Jedi and Jake Lloyd's like, What? 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 what a twist! What a twist! Oh. She has a fucking shitty-ass fucking... I don't know what the direction was for this movie. All the actors feel nothing. I don't know if it's just like... I mean, well, she, I don't understand. Because she, she kneels down and she goes, I'm begging for your no, help. She, that's not... No. That was way too emotive. Sorry, Dad. sorry. That was way sorry. too emotional. <laughs> sorry. She goes like this, literally like this. She goes, I am asking, and then goes on her knees. No, I am begging for your help. Like, literally, I feel nothing. I am dead inside. I have a lobotomy. I'm in cuckoo's nest. Where is Nurse Ratched? I need a pudding cup. <laughs> so, Boss Nass agrees to help them. Because- With a big shaking of the jowls. And everybody smiles, and they're happy. But now, we get to the Battle of Naboo. Yes, which they talk about incessantly. I was going to skip over that, but yes, they talk about it for... For 20 years, I know, we're not going to talk about it in a great deal, but they just talk about it endlessly before they actually start doing it. But then, they finally get to it, you know, moving right along here. Uh, And so, the Gungans are fighting the droids on the front line while Padme and the Jedi sneak into uh, the city. To try and capture the Chancellor. Yes, and every time they cut to the Gungans fighting, it's made abundantly clear how fucking useless Jar Jar is. And it's funny because he made he had, he had a whole thing about saying like, "Oh, Misa fights the people as warriors." Oh, the, the, and, the, 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 and Boss Naz promotes him to general. Oh yes, he's general Jar Jar now. For what? What has he done? He has done. Nothing in this whole movie. He's get- Literally, he's done negative things. <laughs> he's done the opposite of things. He's united the Naboo people and Gunkins. I can't. It's enough. It's fucking enough now. So meanwhile, they're sneaking into the base to capture the, the Chancellor and the Viceroy. And they get into the jet hangar and he tells Jake Lloyd to hide. And Jake Lloyd jumps into a plane with R2-D2 to hide. Qui-Gon goes, now stay in the cockpit. Ah. He didn't say the cockpit had to stay where it was. Oh, God, he didn't say that. Darth Maul shows up. Uh, Duel of Fates. Duel of Fates. Now, I feel like this is an appropriate time to uh, mention, even though we have had a couple of little fights really up to this point, mainly in the beginning, and the little mini one with Darth Maul, with uh, Qui-Gon, but... I feel, since this is the penultimate moment yes. of this movie, the penultimate fight, uh, I feel like now is a good time to mention the stunt coordinator for this film, Nick Gillard. Uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. He was recruited to create new fighting, a new fighting style for the Jedi in the prequel trilogy. Uh, he merged different sword fighting styles like kendo and stuff like that. And he had like swinging techniques, 
from tennis and tree chopping. Yes. And all of this kind of compiled to the fighting style we see now, which is kind of funny because if you like, especially if you think about Obi-Wan, because in the original trilogy, when he fights Darth Vader, it's literally like, ding, ding, ding. Like, just yeah. like little like, but in this, it's like, that flips, stops, yeah. It's like crazy. And it's really, really well choreographed. Like, it's really a cool scene. And it, it honestly, it saves this movie from complete obscurity. Oh, yeah. Honestly, when they talk about, because I've heard other people talk about, if they ever chose to reboot Star Wars, which would be a massive undertaking, and would probably be panned by a lot of people, there are still a lot of things that would be really cool to do. If you could, like, redo, like, the battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, I would love to see that shit. It just, it's so tough, man. It really is. But this uh, fight scene was and is so iconic. It won two MTV Movie Awards, just this scene. Damn straight. This fight scene. uh, For best fight and best action sequence. Damn straight. So before we get into the penultimate fight, I did say that uh, we were going to talk more about the Metachlorians. I know. You you just want to hear more about the Metachlorians. Oh, so much. Um, (laughs) Because uh, at one point, Qui-Gon and Anakin have like this private conversation because Obi-Wan actually had said to Qui-Gon like you shouldn't go against the council the council doesn't want you to train him yeah it's not a good He's idea dangerous. and Qui-Gon's like shut the fuck up I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do so man and <laughs> and uh basically Anakin's like I don't want to cause problems and he's like no, no no it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine (laughs) maybe it is fine but then anakin's like a master qui-gon this is how he talks (laughs) master qui-gon i heard you talking about metachlorians before what are they (laughs) and qui-gon's like well they're microscopic organisms that live inside your body and make the force i don't know the force happen i don't know yeah it's like we're what sucks about this is that the thing that makes the Force cool is that it's mysterious. I'm like, you don't really know what it is. Is it? it is it inside looks- of you? Is it in the universe? Is it? You don't know yes. what exactly it is, but it's this thing that exists, and it's cool as fuck. Oh, yeah. Until now. But now you're, like, trying to explain it with science? Like, no. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Oh, sorry, what? <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> But yeah, it's just, it's so stupid. But apparently, like, according to my research that I yes. did, um, Metachlorians were a planned part of Star Wars lore from the very beginning before even the prequels were written. Yeah, George Lucas said that. So, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't really think it matters. I mean, either way, it's a stupid fucking thing. Because yeah. it's, like, an obvious, like, thing if you're a writer, like, okay, the thing that, like, makes don't the force cool... don't need to explain cool, it! Yeah, the thing that makes the force cool is that it's... You can't... Like, it's difficult to understand, but it's this, like, cool force that... The force is a cool force. That's the sentence of the year. <laughs> but, like, it's this mysterious thing. So, like, if you explain it, it takes a lot away from it. And if you're going to try to explain the Force, maybe don't do it in such a stupid fucking way. Well, but like... (laughs) Just a thought. Even if you wanted to show that 
this kid was super powerful. Mm-hmm. You could do it, you could show it, and not say it. Right, exactly. Hypothetically, you could have had something happen where suddenly he reaches out and he, like, blasts people away. Yeah. With, like, like a force push that he has no control over. Right. And Qui-Gon's like, Oh, shit. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Like, that's all you Show, don't out. tell. Exactly. You, 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 that's the problem with a lot of this movie, is they do a lot of talky-talky and not a lot of dewy-dewy. It's like, okay, <sighs> like, for the love of God, just do something. Yeah. <laughs> like, do something that's not annoying. So Don't worry, I'll wait. <laughs> so let's get back to Duel of the Fates. Yeah, sorry, Duel of the Fates, the only, like, decent, actual good part of this movie. So, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are staring down Darth Maul, and Darth Maul whips out his double-bladed lightsaber. Which fucking looks Cool. It's like even now that we've seen like other forms of lightsabers, like Kylo Ren's lightsaber with the like the tribe thing. Yes, the Helcha. Yeah, like we've seen different kinds of sabers, but this thing is still fucking cool as fuck. Oh, it's so badass! And they're fighting each other off. It's a, it's a fucking great. While he that's happening, uh, the queen is saved by Anakin, who like kills a bunch of droids, and then. The, Ship is on autopilot, starts to fly out of the hangar. Oh, yeah, he just flies away. Because, you know, sure. So R2 and Anakin fly off. The Trade Federation releases a bunch of droids to fight the Gungans, which I'm sitting there. I, I have an issue with this, Frankie. Because this scene is. This scene is very like, oh my god, they're releasing all these droids. But the droids throughout this movie have been shown to be. Utterly incompetent. Like, completely dumb. So why is them releasing, let's say, 10,000 droids suddenly, like, at all, like, because <gasps> they they hold on it, they, like, it's, like, supposed to be, like, this intimidating thing, and you're like, why do I care? Yeah, again, this is another moment that just kind of looks like a CGI fuck fest, like, it's just, computer threw up everywhere, like, it's just, I don't know. Throughout, like, uh, Annie's time in the in the ship. He has a bunch of other uh, stellar lines. Oh yes, yeah. a bunch of stellar written lines by uh, Mr. George Lucas. We just talked about show don't tell. At one point, um, Anakin is in space and he's like fighting with other ships, and all of a sudden he just goes, "This is tense," and it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you wrote down in your screenplay? Jesus Christ. Like, I don't consider myself to be, like, you know, fucking Aaron Sorkin or anything. But, like, you know, do better. Just do better. Do better. Or to have him, like, oh, my God, this is so freaking tense, man. Like, no, not even that. No, but, like, Keanu Reeves? Man, yo, bro. Excellent. Excellent. This is tense. And then he goes, this is a more uh, well-known one. I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. Like, kids don't talk like this. Even, like, the most annoying kids, I feel like, don't talk like that. So, wait, can we, like, can we go through all of Anakin's stuff so we can just go back to Duel of Fates and focus completely on that? Okay, well, we'll we'll go, well, let's do this. We'll go through the rest of Anakin's stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we'll do the rest of Padme's stuff. Okay, 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 yeah. Get over the boring shit so we can get back to the good Yes. Anakin's flying around, saying his dumb, stupid lines. 
Uh, he finally gets control of the ship. And- Yippee! Yippee! <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Man. And he should have. <laughs> and crashes into the Trade Federation hangar. Woo! The ship won't work. He gets re-control of the ship and accidentally shoots like a fucking bomb off into the ship, blowing up the Trade Federation ship, which saves the Gungans who have basically been forced to surrender by all the droids. Anakin flies away. Everybody's happy. Woo! Now, Padme is breaking in with Panaka. And they're... Yeah, he's still here, remember? Remember Captain Panaka? They get this cool, like, Mission Impossible where all of them step oh, out yeah, the window and shoot suction cups upwards and, like... Yeah, I was doing, like, the theme song. Do, 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 They get captured. Uh, Kira Knightley, dressed as Amidala, comes up and is, like, a distraction and capture the Viceroy of the Trade Federation. That's done. Padme's done. Duel of the Fates! Yay, good stuff! Okay, so now they're fighting in this, like, power generator room. Darth Maul kicks Obi-Wan, who falls, like, two floors down and almost falls to his death. Yeah, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty rough. But then again, like, it's kind of the same with Anakin, like, you know he's not gonna die, so... Yeah, yeah, Qui-Gon... <laughs> Qui-Gon knocks, uh, Maul down off floor and then follows him. They're fighting back and forth. Uh, Ewan McGregor finally gets back up, jumps up, and then a force field, like, separates them. Yeah, which I thought was cool, um, because, like, you get to see... The differences between all of them. Yeah, like... Darth Maul is, like, pacing back and forth like a caged animal, kind of. And, like, Qui-Gon is just, like, sitting and, like, meditating. And Obi-Wan is just, like, waiting patiently. Like, okay, okay, get, like, right, like ready. and re- Like, he's almost, like, shaking, ready to go. Well, you also know Obi-Wan kind of sense when the force fields are going down. Because the moment oh, yeah. right before he ignites his blade. Yeah. And Maul does the same thing. Right. So it's very interesting that both of them are... Very yeah. ready and ready to go. And actually, he's like calm, Qui-Gon. Yeah, Qui-Gon's calm. But I, I did think it was cool. I was, I thought it was a cool element to the fight. But I didn't know, like, I was like confused as to why that was happening. Yeah. Like, why? I okay, don't... whatever. I'm not gonna overthink it. This is actually like a good part of the movie. Yeah. Don't think about it. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. like it. <laughs> yeah. So now the shields drop. Obi Wan starts running up. Qui-Gon and Darth Maul are fighting. Shield stops Obi Wan from joining the fight. Real mm-hmm. quick. And then, uh, Maul fucking knocks Qui-Gon in the face and stabs him in the gut. And I... I felt nothing. (laughs) I felt nothing when he died. And I feel like, because he was, I assume, probably, like, the first build person. Yeah, I assume so. Uh, on the, like, cause he was probably the most prominent character in this yeah. movie. So I probably should have felt something. Um, I felt like maybe a modicum of sadness when Obi-Wan screamed, no! But other than that, I really didn't, like, yeah. when he actually died and was like, Ugh! and then fell over, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, and that's, it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't be. You know, For and you. I get it, like, Especially with Qui-Gon, like, if you want him to be a subdued, chill, quote-unquote, you know, meditative character, fine, do you, boo-boo. But, 
like, give him some characterization. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Make us give a fuck about him. Because <laughs> I didn't give a fuck. Maul's now turns waiting for, for Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Yeah. And Obi-Wan comes out like a fucking uh, house on fire. Like, he's coming from Maul. And Maul basically dispatches him pretty quickly, knocks him down the hole. Obi-Wan grabs onto the ledge and basically is, like, holding on for dear life. And Maul, intelligently, this is actually very smart of the villain, because you never expect the villain to do this, kicks Obi-Wan's lightsaber down the fucking hole. Yeah, I didn't. I did notice that. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But- Maul's, like, taunting him slightly. But Obi-Wan sees, he goes, why God's lightsaber? He uses the Force, hops up, fuck the high ground, and chops Maul in half. Jedi Knight, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yay! Boom. Uh, so. Oh my god, you know what we forgot about? I have it in my notes. What? Now this is pod racing! Oh god damn it. Now this is pod racing! So yeah, as, <laughs> as Anakin's escaping the hangar, the hangar as it's blowing up, he goes, Now this is pod racing! Oh, oh my god, these lines, I can't anymore. <laughs> so, so, yeah, as uh, Qui-Gon Lee is dying, he gets Obi Wan to agree to train. Yeah, Obi Wan. You have to train the boy. And Obi Wan goes, "Okay, I will. I'll do fine, it. Fine, fine. I think he's dangerous and he's gonna be the death of all of us. But sure, mainly the death of me. I true. So then, yeah. So then at the end, we have this like celebration of you know peace and harmony. Yeah, everything is lovely. Qui Gon gets burnt alive. Burnt, well, but- not burnt alive. <laughs> he gets like a fucking funeral. Like pyre. Fire, yeah. yeah. Then Anakin turns to Obi-Wan, completely emotionless, and says, What's gonna happen to me now? And Hugh McGregor's just like, I have to train you now, you fucking piece of shit. So. (laughs) You fucking piece of shit. That's what he says in this PG movie. So we cut to the celebration. Everything is lovely and wonderful. Padme is all done up in Queen Amidala garb celebrating unity with the Gungans. Hooray, hurrah. And Jake Lloyd is there with his little Padawan rat tail. And he's, for some reason, this nine-year-old child is giving a 16-year-old woman a fucking, like, sexy eyes. It's weird. I don't like it. I want it to go away. (laughs) And Yoda and Samuel L. Jackson have their little one-off. Oh, yes. Always two there are. No more. No less. A master... And an apprentice. But which was destroyed? The master or the apprentice? And then somehow, mysteriously, they cut to Palpatine. Like, oh. And Palpatine also goes to Anakin and goes, We'll be watching your career very closely. Oh, boy. It's definitely, uh, so far, the lowest rated, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I have this rated as a two on Letterboxd. And I have it as a two and a half. So, yeah, I mean, it's not good. No. It's it's boring at parts. It's nonsensical at parts. It's stupid at parts. Yeah. Um, The end is passable. Yeah. The end's pretty good. I like the end. I like the Battle of the Boo. Duel of the Fates does a lot, but yeah, it's, it's, it's... it helps, it does. It does. It just... It's early on, it's just slog to get through this. Yeah, you just this. have to trudge through a lot of shit to get there. So, yeah. 
I feel like for the first three, like the original trilogy, like when the when we're done reviewing the actual movie and going through the plot, we like talk for like ever about stuff and like how like oh this is well you know this and this and that and then well that plot point this this we're like yeah yep it's yep we sat through that two and a half hours of our lives that are gone now again definitely not a movie. Not one of the movies I revisit very often. It's probably one of my least favorite movies of the prequel trilogy. Yeah, I um, I am looking forward to watching the rest, though, just to see where they rank. Because Attack of the Clones, I know, isn't great either. No. Um, but I don't know if it'll rank higher than this or lower. Revenge of the Sith, I think, is also not great, but it's better than the first two. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll figure that out as we go, I guess, but... Yeah, we shall. Ugh. Okay. Are you alright, Scotty? As alright as I'm gonna be. So, Scott and I are gonna go get some dinner. Perhaps have a romantic dinner. Uh, and, like, maybe recite lines to each other, like we're Padme and Anakin, and see how many people look at us like we're insane. Are you an angel? <laughs> <laughs> It's beautiful, Anakin. <laughs> the bracelet, it's so beautiful. So, yeah, this has been Shit the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast, and I am Frankie Spark. And I'm Scott Skywalker. No. No. <laughs> Check us out on Letterboxd at Frankie Sparks and Scott Eisenberg individually, as well as our Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And also check out our weekly episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and now, more recently, iHeartRadio. And make sure you come back next week. Check us out for our brand spanking new movie review. Also, but real quick, I want to thank Invicta Enterprises for naming us a top 100. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. That was so awesome. Best indie podcasts to binge during the quarantine. Oh, God. Yeah. We're recording this on... March 21st, and we're going to be posting in April 1st, so hopefully things start looking up by then. Yes. Maybe. If not, hang in there, guys, and please stay safe and stay clean. Yes. Yes, thank you so much to Invicta Enterprises for that awesome blog. That was really cool, and it, it was it was really cool. So, thank yes, you Yes, we that. appreciate it so much. So, so much. And um, thanks to anyone out there who's listening. All right? So, we will see you next time on Shoot the Flick. Bye.